0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, page 1360. Here's 2 Thessalonians 2. The Apostle Paul writes this, Now, brethren... Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed." Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's a reading from 2 Thessalonians 2 for now. I'd like to also read from our Confessions, Lord's Day 4 of the Heidelberg Catechism. In the back of the songbook, it's page 520. It's day four. What does, but does not God do man an injustice by requiring in His law what man cannot do? No, for God so created man that He was able to do it. But man, at the instigation of the devil, in deliberate disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry with our original sin, as well as our actual sins. Therefore, He will punish them by a just judgment, both now and eternally, as He has declared, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. But is God not also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but He is also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the Most High Majesty of God Also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. That's our reading from the Catechism. After the sermon, we'll sing from the uh, provisional, and it's page 80, My Lord, I Did Not Choose You, page 80, and uh, we'll remain standing after that song. Congregation loved by Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 4 is kind of interesting in the way that there's a difficult subject, serious subject, and the way the questions are coming across very interactively. Children and adults can ask some pretty good questions like, is God unfair? It's a very serious subject, and we're stretching what is appropriate. Is God unfair? Are there questions we shouldn't ask, like, Is God too harsh? Why can't He just let it go? Isn't God merciful? These are great questions, and we're being helped out. You think some questions are out of bounds? No, these are good ones. Gets right at the heart of the gospel too. Here's Lord's Day 4. You need to see that God is fair, that God is firm. Um, Fixed might be another word for that. And He is faithful when He punishes sinners. So you see it in the bulletin. God punishes sinners perfectly. We'll see first of all that He is fair. God is fair. Does not God do man an injustice by requiring in His law what man cannot do? And the question, in other words, is God unfair? Isn't He unfair by expecting us to obey His law perfectly? He knows we can't obey, us, uh, obey Him perfectly. He knows we're sinful. And the answer is, no, nope. God is fair. For God so created man that he was able to do it, but man at the instigation of the devil, in deliberate disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. God is fair. Let's do some history. Take some historical events into account. The truth is, there were certain choices your first parents made. They affect you. In this case, it's bad news. And maybe you just need some examples. how You you can know that parents' choices can become bad news for you. Maybe you were born with a debt. We all have a national debt. It has something to do with previous people making their choices. Some are less so connected to a choice. You were born with a genetic disease, and it's because of who your parents are. All sorts of disadvantages or disabilities that come from that. So you think about that. You are unable to perfectly please God. It is fair to do this historical analysis. And just because it's bad news, I guess that's why we're saying, oh, this is unfair of God. We naturally want to get out of it. It's not me. I never made that choice. But let's say we're the other way around for a minute. Let's say this was good news. Wouldn't you sign up for it? I remember a news article. Maybe it was on the radio back in the day. There was a radio back in the day. But probably something like 15 years ago, a person, an ancestor named Maddie Mitchell... About 100,000 people signed up and claimed that they were directly related to that First Nation, Maddie Mitchell, the Mi'kmaq people. And I saw this on the news, how many people applied for indigenous First Nations rights status, saying they were of the Mi'kmaq Nation, people of Newfoundland, and that Maddie Mitchell, that revered traitor, um, trader with a D, that's a good thing, and uh, explorer, woodsman. He was their founding father, so 100,000 people claimed. I want to have that man in my history. In Canada, if that man is your ancestor, you'd be eligible for all kinds of benefits, tax exemptions, special status. But here's the point. We do care about our history. Selectively. We'll stand in line for the good, but when it comes to the bad, we'll be like, oh, no, no, that's not my choice. That was my parents. Or we'll say something like, God's unfair. Here we go. We face the facts. Your first parents, go back to that history, your first parents robbed you. They left you in debt to God and severely disabled. God is not doing anyone an injustice. You want to talk injustice? Talk about your first parents, Adam and Eve. They robbed you. They were even in their right mind. You couldn't get a more right mind than being perfect in paradise. The atmosphere, the environment, there was nothing going against them. They were without sin when they made that decision and they robbed you. The most that they had going against them was the instigation of the devil, which is a fancy way of saying the influence-prompting of the devil, the serpent. Adam and Eve, they were in their right mind, and they were thinking the pros and the cons. If you were to read Genesis 3, you would see that they're like, yeah, this gives wisdom, yeah, this would be good for us. The tree looks like it's a pretty good tree that, with the knowledge of good and evil. But they, on purpose, robbed themselves and all their descendants, us included, of these gifts. They threw out that gift. They threw out the gift of being able to obey God perfectly into the garbage. So is God fair? Catechism says we, and, and um, yes, that's the answer. And then we read 2nd. Thessalonians 2 to illustrate the point. Is God fair? The Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians those who were, he was writing about those who were perishing being destroyed and punished they were not in any way being forced to do evil. No one is making them evil. Is God fair to punish them? Yes. They are doing it themselves. Apostle Paul says in verse 10 they are even enjoying it. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 10, with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They refuse to love the truth. Therefore, God, for this reason, God will send them strong delusion and that they should believe the lie. I want you to picture this, that God gets a whole group of lies, a whole clump of lies, and God says, here, here's a bunch of nonsense. I just found this online. Here, believe this. If you don't want the truth that I give you, if you don't want my word, you can find anything, anywhere. And what is the nature of our broken, fallen state? Is we will take garbage instead of the truth. Is it fair? It is fair because they had it in front of them, the truth. And God presents them with alternatives. They would prefer the alternatives that they may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. In fact, that word pleasure says that's where their heart was at. Fallen, sinful people would prefer this. Give them all the options in the world. I prefer this. They prefer unrighteousness and wouldn't have it any other way. You notice it's a heart thing. No one's forcing anyone to do evil. You connect that reading of 2 Thessalonians 2 with Romans 1. They suppressed the truth by their unrighteousness. They became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. What is bringing people into judgment and destruction? It is the doing of what's not right. Who's making them do what's not right? I feel like doing what's not right. The pleasure of unrighteousness. Is God fair to punish them? Yes, God is fair. Has God ever punished anyone who did not want to sin? There's only one. If you're a a clever catechism student, you'd be like, Jesus is the only one who's been punished and never wanted to do sin. Sinners enjoy sin. Given the options, and God does give us options, sinners choose unrighteousness over righteousness any day of the week. When you choose sin, are you complaining that you have no choice? You have choice, you just don't use it. And so, 2 Thessalonians 2 says, you have pleasure in unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, let's let's keep this close to home. Don't think about other evil people, wicked people. Don't think about other sinners, but think about yourself. Is this true in your own life? God would be perfectly fair to punish you. Is that right? Even in this broken world, have you ever been forced to disobey God? Be honest with yourself. God is fair to expect full obedience. God created man to obey Him perfectly. It's within reach. The problem is you just don't want to reach. That's the effect of the fall. I just don't want to reach righteousness and perfection in my old nature. Obedience is tough. It's costly. It's slow. Like if you're waiting for God and depending on him and faith, his reward is way too long to wait for. By nature, I'd rather not. God is fair to punish sinners. Sinners sin because they want to. That's my first point. God is fair to punish sinners. Her second point is that God is firm. Unchanging. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy, such sliding away, turning away, abandonment of the faith, will God allow that to go unpunished? The second question gets to the severity of sin right now. Is God able to overlook sin? Every couple of months we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I get to this line in the form for the Lord's Supper. It goes like this. For the wrath of God against sin is so great that he could not leave it unpunished. Maybe you cruise right through that and you don't think about it. But there is, God can do anything, right? Not quite. There's one thing God cannot do. He can't deny himself. 2 Timothy 2 says that. But the form that we use also says, God will not let sin go unpunished. He cannot. He could not. And the only way to make sense of this is to know something about the nature, the severity of sin. At first glance, from a sinful perspective, sin looks like an oops. A mistake. Oh, shucks, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. But looking at sin again, is it just an oops? Oh, I should just be a little more careful next time? No, sin is serious. All it takes, you don't have to be really brilliant, to know that sin is serious, all you have to do is look at the consequences of sin. Sin leaves ugly results, broken relationships, think of bankruptcy, disease, you go further, Look at sin from God's perspective. You see that mistakes and carelessness are rooted in actual hatred. Hating God himself. Hating our neighbor. If you look at the bottom line, what is sin? I'm more important than God. I get to decide. People are in my way. Creation is really annoying. What are you people here doing anyway? You're taking up space. You're breathing my air. You're judging me. Basis of sin is hating God and hating your neighbor. So the Heidelberg Catechism summarizes the depths of sin by saying, God cannot overlook sin. If sin were an oops, He could look at it the other way But this is the message. He is terribly, that's how the Catechism is going to say it. He's terribly angry with our original sin as well as our actual sins. The original, the debt from Adam, reason for God's anger, and actual, the ongoing sin that we dig ourselves into. God's terribly angry. Therefore, He will punish them with a just judgment. Punish those sins with a just judgment both now and eternally as He's declared in Galatians 3, verse 10. The only fitting punishment is a judgment now and eternally. You see, God is firm because God has to be firm. Firm because sin is not a mistake. Anyone can overlook mistakes. In fact, this is what you ought to do. Overlook offenses that are small. If they're overlookable, look over them. Proverbs 19, verse 11, it's glory to overlook an offense. But sin is rebellion. It's counting God as second place in the universe, and and you know who gets first place. That's what deserves God's wrath. You get a sense of sin's seriousness from 2 Thessalonians 2, because it's about the man or the son of... Maybe translation would be man of lawlessness or the son of sin, the man of sin. And you have a few ways of interpreting that. There was a man. Uh, I, I believe him to be a real person who lived when the temple, time was, st- when the temple was still around. But that's just a, a personal view. Verse 3. The man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Sin says, I get to sit on the throne of God, I decide what's right and wrong. So our point here is God is firm. If we understand what sin is, sin is rebellion, it's eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, wishing God were off his throne. Thank you, that's my spot. I'll decide for myself what's good and evil. And so for that, deicide, the murder of God, there's only one appropriate punishment, eternal punishment. The man of sin was destroyed by the Lord Jesus Christ, or depending on your perspective, will be destroyed at the coming of Jesus Christ with the breath of his mouth. Just the appearance of Christ's coming is enough. And we get it. It's like some terrorist. That man, obviously, deserves punishment. God should be firm with him. But should God be that way with you and me? Should God have that kind of terrifying anger toward me? Is my sin really a severe problem? What do you think about this is really going to impact everything you believe? Everything you believe changes what you think about punishment. Why did the Lord Jesus Christ have to die? In the catechism class, we just covered this, Lord's Day 15, Christ's suffering. And then Lord's Day 16 came along and we're like, why did Christ have to go so far as to suffer to the point of death? Why that kind of death? Because we're going right to this point. There is no way to overlook sin. If sin is outright rebellion against God, there's one solution. Do what we would do with a terrorist. Because that's what we are like before God by nature. How should God deal with me when I want my own kingdom? I sin against the Most High Majesty of God with the most severe. There is one thing, one severe punishment, a just judgment. But let's touch on this third point because we're going to bring up God's mercy right about now. Very clever. Let's talk about mercy. Because at first, mercy is being played to cancel judgment and wrath. And so our third point is now going to be that God is faithful. God keeps His word. He's going to stick to His plan here. Question and answer 11. Is God not also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but He is also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. You see what's happening? This is what we do. We're going to use that word mercy the way we do when kids are wrestling. You know how kids wrestle or they fight? Maybe only in your family, not mine. You get in a headlock, and you can cry out something. I don't know what it is in your family, but in mine it was mercy. Others use uncle, or, you know, just some other word. You want out at that moment when you're in the headlock. And now, here's similar in the catechism. We're at the point where sin has been called sin, and we've heard about punishment. There's only one, and it's severe. It's severe. It would be wrong for God to ignore our sin. And now we're going to use the word mercy. God says, why should I show you mercy? Good question. God says, if I let you go, I let everyone go. God says, I'm just. what." When I say, if I do this, this is the consequence. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. God says, I am faithful. I'm not just going to forget your rebellion just because you cried out mercy. Two minutes later, you will rebel again. You are like that man of sin, aren't you? The point is, mercy might sound like a religious word at this moment, at this point, but it's not. It's not the same word. People love to save it for the 11th hour. They're just about to die, and they're like, oh, this is a good time to straighten out my life. I'll just ask God to show mercy. Well, that's a good point. Remember that when you get to your 11th hour. That is probably the right time to ask for mercy. But that is not the gospel here. It's foolish to think that God will suddenly forget His wrath. Unless you have a good reason. This is absolutely important because the next major section of the Heidelberg Catechism, the next doctrine we're going to is about deliverance. And the one thing has to be clear, God has only one kind of mercy. God's mercy is inside of justice. His mercy is wrapped up in justice. Maybe, maybe if you think of food, you think of a walnut. Hard shell, that's justice, inside the walnut. Mercy embedded inside of punishment. That's the only way you know mercy in the Bible and the clearest way to see the gospel, to see our Savior who was on his way toward the most severe punishment under the wrath of God. What is Jesus talking about? Could we take this cup of wrath away? Because if mercy could cancel justice of God, our Lord Jesus Christ would have found that mercy. If mercy could cancel wrath, let's do it. I'm on board, Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane. God is faithful. He's not going to forget everything he said, He's not going to forget the seriousness of sin. We are like terrorists by nature. God has only one kind of mercy. Mercy that's inside justice. The most powerful argument that our sin deserves, the most severe punishment comes from Jesus Christ Himself. Look at Him. Why was He rejected? Forsaken by God? Why did He undergo such cruel suffering? Why was He under God's curse? The truth is, God is merciful. He will relent. He certainly does forgive. But only when justice has been served. That's where deliverance is found. Most important question. Has justice been served for your sins? Are your sins still on your shoulders? Or has justice been served for your sins? Does your carelessness, wickedness, indifference toward God, all your rebellion, does that carry your name tag still? Or has Jesus Christ taken that name tag and dipped it in His blood? Has he taken your sins upon himself? Question answer 10 has a very personal answer. Therefore he will punish them by a just judgment. Catechism students often fumble that word. Pronouns, not too important. Therefore he will punish me with a just judgment. Or therefore he will punish us with a just judgment. And I'm like, hang on. You're memorizing this. Therefore, He will punish them. Those sins we're talking about. By a just judgment. This is your only hope. And that's what we're headed for in the next couple of weeks in the afternoons. The most severe judgment of God. The most severe punishment has already been carried out by Christ on the cross. This is true faith then. Believing that your justice has been served and you point to Christ. Christ. It's only in Christ can you use that word, mercy. Grace. Brothers and sisters, God punishes sinners perfectly. Have your sins been punished perfectly? You're no longer a sinner then. The Lord only shows mercy to those who trust in His Son, to those who love Christ, that He died in your place. God has one kind of mercy, the mercy that has gone through justice in your place, the mercy that knows of God's wrath. That mercy becomes fruitful, right? It's amazing grace. That mercy, it produces results. We're going to get that. That mercy, it changes you. That's, that's another topic, and that's coming up. But here's the hope of the gospel I want to leave you with this afternoon. Even though God punishes perfectly, He gives hope. Hope that your sins have been punished through Christ. Believe in Jesus. Call out for mercy in him. Because your sins have been punished and paid for in him. Amen.